you have your, if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be looking at a scripture uh, passage, and we're going to continue in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, and verses 28 through 45. So follow me along, uh, follow with me as I read uh, here. Some eight days after these things, he took, Peter and John, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mount to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had, to, had been overcome with sleep, but they were fully awake. They saw his glory and two men standing with him. As, as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. When he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and reported to no one in, the, in those days any of the things which they had seen. On the next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And a man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy. And a spirit seizes him and suddenly screams, and it throws him into convulsion and foaming at the mouth, and only with difficulty does it leave him mauling him as it, as it leaves. I beg your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. While he was still approaching, a demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. But while... While everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But he did not understand this statement, and it was concealed from them, so that they would not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this statement. And may God add the blessing to the reading of his word. Have any of us ever been in the presence of someone great. I've had that opportunity many times. I know, I'm know i sure some of us have had that opportunity. How have you, um, have you ever had that experience? How did you respond when you were in the presence of someone great? Was it in a crowd? Were you in a crowd when uh, you were, the person was there? Or was it with you and just that person? Or was it you and maybe a few other people? How did you respond uh, when you were in the presence of that individual? And think about that. What did you do? Did you say anything at all? Did you say things like a foot? Sometimes you say things without even thinking and say things, maybe something that you wish you hadn't said. Um, or did you act in a way that was an appropriate way, well, this is a great person, and you responded appropriately to how, who that person was. Today, Jesus appears in his glory. The disciples react to that, 
And then the, the father responds. Jesus cures an individual of a demonic spirit, and he reveals God's greatness. Jesus reveals that which is to come. As you can see, we're going to be talking about the very presence of God among us in the person of Jesus, and how that was revealed to his disciples. And we're going to talk about that, and how people respond to who Jesus is, and the, great, and the greatness of who he is as, as God come in the flesh. Three points that we're going to look at. We're going to I'm looking at the transfiguration, the greatness of God, and let these words. The transfiguration. So, if you think about it, here it is, there's eight days later after Jesus had done a lot of teaching, a lot of healing, and they're getting, Jesus is getting ready to prepare for, he's going to be go, going to Jerusalem, he's getting ready, he's getting prepared to face his eminent um, cru uh, crucifixion and resurrection. And he knows that, and he's going to face that. And so that's where he's headed. He's resolute on his purpose and going. But there's a few things that he needs to take care of. And as he's going, they're on this mountain, and some, some commentators believe that this was Mount Tabor. Others don't agree with that, but they're not sure exactly uh, where this mountain, what this mountain was, where they were. It doesn't make it clear here in Luke. But wh who are the people that he took with him? This is really important. He took Peter, James, and John. Now, this is really funny because Peter, James, and John were businessmen together. They, they were fishermen together. And these were the three men that were probably closest to Jesus. They were with Jesus uh, when Lazarus was raised. They were with Jesus in the garden. So these were ones, individuals, that were the, probably the three closest that Jesus had on this earth as far as his disciples. And so, here they were, up in this mountain, and I'm assuming that it's probably towards the end of the day, because the disciples are really tired. But what happens here, it says, and, what, and, and Jesus went up there for a purpose. And what was that purpose? That purpose was to pray. Now, Jesus knew what he was going to face. Jesus knew that what was going to happen. He knew that. He, he was in continual communication with his father. So he understood and he knew the purpose and the plan for which he came. And he understood that and he knew that God's purpose was, this is what you have to do, son. But Jesus was, because Jesus was always in communication with the father, he always sought to seek the father in prayer and to find um, direction and, and leading by his father. So that's why he was taking his time to pray. And how often do you think about with us? When we know there's things going on in our life, when we know that things are happening, when we know that we hear from God and we know that God has a purpose, that God has a plan, we have God is going to be doing something. How many of us take the time to, 
take the time to pray and seek God's direction and seek God's purpose and seek God's plan. Even the Son, Jesus, God come in the flesh, needed God's direction and purpose, didn't he? And so should we. Whatever circumstance, whatever situation we're in, prayer is always the requisite for successful life, for successful living, for successful work that God has called us to do. Without it, everything is bound to fail, and we're bound to miss God and miss His direction and miss His purpose and miss His plan. But Jesus took the time, and his whole purpose was going up in the mountain with Peter, James, and John was, was to pray. And of course, that was an example for those who would be who would be with him in the garden, weren't they? They were the ones in the garden. What was the purpose of Jesus being in the garden? Was to pray. And so Jesus was setting the example for who? For, this, for these three. For these three that were going to um, not only lead the church, but be the head of the church, these, these individuals. So we're finding here that Jesus' purpose is to do the Father's will, but he needs to find, find the exact direction of his Father and what his Father wants through prayer. And as he does that, what's happening? In verse 29, while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. I can imagine that would be a strange situation. Could you imagine someone's face changing right in the, mid right in the midst of you? And so, it's talking about here as his face became different, his clothing became white and gleaming. In other words, bright. Whiter than, than any kind of launderer could make the clothes. And so it was bright, so, so bright that it, it would probably, it would be something that you really couldn't look at because it was just so bright and clean. But what was happening was, is that Jesus was experiencing what? He was exhibiting what? The glory of who he was as God. Jesus was man, come in the flesh, but while he was on earth, he was veiled, his glory was veiled in his humanity, in the human body. But at this moment in time, his glory was revealed to who? Peter, James, and John. And the brightness of his glory was revealed to these individuals and to these men. And they saw the glory of God. They saw the greatness of God. They saw who God was. They saw who Jesus was as God. They knew him as a man, but they saw him as God. They saw his glory revealed. I don't know how I would have responded to that. It goes back to my original illustration. My little, how would... I don't know how I would have responded. How would I have responded if I saw the glory of God? If I saw Jesus, would I be in awe and wonder? Would I worship? Would I say anything? What would I do? What would we do? How would we respond if Jesus appeared to you in glory? How would you respond to that? 
How should we respond to that? When you're in the presence of God, I know one thing is, is that you respond in worship. You go, awe. And you can't really say anything because you're in just so much awe. It's like words fail you. Words, there's no words that could express at that moment anything that could even come close to what he's worthy of at that moment. And then the other thing is, is that it is worship. Here's God. You're in the presence of God Almighty, the creator, the sustainer of all the universe. The one who holds things up, all things by the power and exertion of his, of his hand, of his word. And you're in the presence and you bow down and what you do worship. And I think that that's really important, folks, because one of the things, my big thing is, is that I don't sing hymns and I don't worship for the sake of worship because that's what you're supposed to do. But it makes you feel good because it's a part of the worship service. I worship because it's, you're, I'm in the presence of God. In the awesome presence of God. And I'm bowing down before the presence of God. I'm giving him his due. His worth-ship. That's, that's where worship comes from. Worth. It comes from worth-ship. In other words, you bow down in the presence of Almighty God. That's what worship is. And that's how we should respond to God in our hearts and in our worship and giving of all that we have to him. Because he's worthy of it, isn't he? Yes, absolutely. The greatness and the majesty and the and the grandeur and the beauty of God and all that He is. And we bow down and worship Him. How does Peter respond? Peter is ne never known, been, Peter's never been at a lack of words. He has foot and mouth disease. You know, foot and mouth disease is saying stuff that's probably really not appropriate to write at that moment in time. Some of us do that. I sometimes do that. You know, and Peter had a habit of doing that quite, quite a bit. But Jesus was so gracious because he uh, continued and God was so gracious. But listen to this. There's three, there's two other men there. This is really important. Who were those men who appeared with Jesus in the glory when the cloud came down? Moses, who was symbolic of what? The law. The law of God's people. And Elijah, who was symbolic of who? Of the prophets. So who do we see? The law and the prophets, which means of all that encompassed at that time God's work, God's law and his prophets, the law and the prophets. So here they were, individuals that were a part of God's plan, that were here with Jesus, meeting with Jesus, in all his glory, and planning on what? On what was going to be happening? What was Jesus going to do? Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem and do what? And he's going to his, um, he's going to go into his death. And eventually, to his glorious resurrection. So, uh, they had to meet with him, and that's the plan that they had. That's the plan that God had. That's the plan and purpose that they had. So they met with him together. 
to purpose the plan, to figure to, not to figure out the plan, the plan was already set in stone, but to uh, talk and communicate about the plan of what was going to happen in this next uh, ensuing uh, time period that was going to come before Jesus would soon be taken uh, from this earth. And Peter says, and Master, is it good for us to be here? Let's make a tabernacle, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. He wasn't realizing what he was saying. Again, it, it, Peter wasn't he should have been in a place where I shouldn't, you know. Peter was always a doer. And I, I got a habit, I have a habit of doing that too. I always have to be doing something. Rather than just being still there for a moment. Sometimes I have to be doing something to make myself feel good. And sometimes that's not always the appropriate thing to do. Sometimes it's just, sometimes you just need to be still. And do I mean, be, be in the presence of God, like Peter should have been. Peter went, well, I, and Peter's a doer, so I'm going to build a tabernacle, because he didn't know what else to do. When that's, God didn't ask him to build a tabernacle, did he? No. God, he was just, uh, but God wanted him just to listen and to respond and listen to what God was saying. And let's go on here, it says, and while he, verse 34, and while he was saying this, a cloud formed began to overshadow him, and they were afraid, and they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And after Peter said this, a cloud came. And here we see two parts of the Trinity. We see Jesus, and then we hear the voice of who? The Father. That would be pretty incredible. First of all, you see the presence of Jesus in his glory. And now you hear the voice of God Almighty, the audible voice of God Almighty. That would be pretty like amazing. To me, I was like, here is God speaking. Like he spoke to Moses on the mountain. Or like he spoke to Elijah. This is funny, I didn't even think about this. But he spoke to Elijah in the cave. In a still small voice. He spoke to Moses up in the mountain with the Ten Commandments. It's interesting, but the thing is that God spoke. He spoke to these individuals. He spoke to Peter, James, and John. This is my, and he spoke to them specifically because they were the only humans um, that were there. Because Jesus was in his glory at that point. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. That's a little simple message, but it's profound, isn't it? God didn't say a whole lot. He didn't say a whole lot. He said one sentence. Let me listen. Let me read it. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This is him. In other words, my chosen one means the Messiah. This is my son. This is him. Do you need any more convincing? Do you need any more proof? Do you need any more examples to know who he is? You need to listen to him. You need to hear what he's saying. Sometimes God speaks to us that way, doesn't he? He 
says, sometimes God, I don't think any of us have ever heard the audible voice of God. I, I haven't. But I've heard him speak in my heart. I've, I've heard him speak through his word. I've heard him speak through uh, preachers and ministers who are speaking the word of God. But God is speaking and he has spoken to us. And when he speaks, what is he saying? Listen to him. Listen to, in other words, listen to his son. Listen to me. Hear what I have to say. Hear what I have to say. And that's so important. I miss out a lot because I don't, I don't, I don't listen that well. I mean, sometimes I, I listen, I try, but I miss it a lot. I really do. I miss it a lot. But God's calling us to listen because when we listen to him, we hear his plan. We hear his purpose. We hear his direction for us. Number one, it, 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 when we listen to God, it authenticates who Jesus is because listen to him. God was authenticating Jesus and his word. But also when we listen to him, he gives us the direction that we need, doesn't he? He does. How many of us need direction? I know I need it all the time. God, give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Show me clearly what you want. What would you have, God? But in doing so, God answers and God speaks. And he says, listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying. Hear me. It's important to hear what God is saying. Even in the midst of all, everything that's going on, we need to listen to what he's saying. We need to hear him and understand what he's saying because his words are true. His, what does it say in the scripture? It says his promises are what? Yea and amen. So you can trust his word. For the word of God is living and active, sharpened any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the vision of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.12. That's the word of God. It's, it, it speaks. It cuts to the heart. It speaks to us. It speaks and goes deep down. That's why we need to listen to it. Because it gives God's direction. It gives hope. It gives encouragement. It gives direction to us, folks. Because Jesus was getting uh, uh, consulting with, with Moses and with Elijah up in the mountaintop. He was getting God's direction, but also he was God was doing it for an example for who? For Peter, James, and John, who were going to lead the church. And so if they were going to lead the church, they needed to have an example, and they needed to provide an example for the rest of the body. Because from them and from the other disciples, what was going to happen? They were the ones that were going to carry on the church. All you have to do is just read the gospel. Once Jesus ascended, all you have to do is just read the, the book of Acts. What do you have? The church. And then from Acts, those who followed after them, and after them, and after them, and then here we are today. And so the reality is, is that when we listen to God, we get his direction, and we, and, we, and we get his purposes, and we get his plan, and we can move forward in whatever he would have for us individually, but for us and in his church. And then verse 30, uh, 37, the greatness of God. And he came down from the mountain, and long story short, Jesus is 
as a man, there's an individual here, I said, beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy. And there's a demon that's seizing him and, and convulsing him and throwing him to the ground. That's real. It happened then. It happens today. Demonic possession happens today. It's real. I've seen it. I've been a part of it. I mean, I've been part where we, we actually have done that. But the reality is, is that disciples were here. It says, I beg you, your disciples, to cast it out, but they could not. Isn't that interesting? That disciples had been with Jesus. They saw him do all these things, all these miracles. And they saw him do all these, and they couldn't cast out the demon. They saw Jesus do it. They saw him preach. They saw him heal. They saw him make whole, but they couldn't do it themselves. Why is that? That they're not God? No, it's, it's not, not that. Did they not have the Holy Spirit? No, no they had the very presence of God with them. The reality is that they, I think, were... Not I think. They were fearful. They were, I think, intimidated by the situation. They didn't, think, they didn't think that they had it in them to be able to do it. And when in reality, the power that was with them to be able to do it was already it was always there. The very presence of God was there to be able to do whatever Jesus did um, and be able to do it. And so the real, and so Jesus is saying, here you are, this man, I'm not always going to be here. I'm not always going to be here. And you're going to be, have to be able to do this. You're going to be able to have to carry this on for me because you're the leaders of the you're going to be the leaders of the church. The Christian church that is going to carry on after I'm gone. You should be able to do this. And the man, teacher, I beg you. For my son, he is my only boy. And the Spirit seizes him. And while he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground, threw him to the convulsion, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Had the disciples seen Jesus do that before? Absolutely. Had the disciples experienced that for themselves? Yes, they have. But the disciples fall short in their faith. And it's so important for us to know that our God is great. The three disciples, Peter, James, and John, saw the glory of God, saw the greatness of God on the mountain. Disciples down below had seen God do great and wonderful, mighty things prior to this. Healing, uh, casting out of spirits, evil spirits, uh, doing great things. And what God was saying here to them was, is that I want you to trust me that what I do, you're going to do as well. And you can do as well. Now, some folks don't believe that, that you can, you can bring healing. 
1 Corinthians uh, uh, 12 and 14 talk about the gifts of the Spirit and how God's people are gifted with the Spirit. That's what the body is about. And being able to carry out God's work and be able to carry out God's plan and be able to carry out God's Spirit. And be able to do that. And that's what He's called us to do because we're a part of His church, aren't we? And if there's needs and there's things that are going on in the church that we as His people are called to take care of, He calls us to take care of them. It doesn't call us to be intimidated by them. We can't be. We can't be fearful of this young, of a young, of a young boy who's possessed by a demonic spirit, who convulses him and throws him down to the ground. The spirit of God in us is alive in us. What does the scripture say? Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. Right? Isn't that true? So. If this demonic spirit is there, Jesus in us is greater than the demonic spirit there, isn't he? He's greater than disease. He's greater than sickness. He's greater than any circumstance or situation that we may face or encounter in our lives. Isn't he? And so he calls upon us as his people to be people of faith, to believe him and to trust him. Hear what he has to say. Hear his direction. Listen to him. But then act in faith and believe what he's saying and calling for us to do. God, even though we're a small congregation here, God's called us to do mighty and wonderful things in our community. And this community here in our lives. There's folks and individuals in our lives that I'll never be able to reach with the gospel. But you can. I'll never be able, I'll never talk to some, maybe talk to some individuals in your lives. But you do. You can. Because we're all hands and feet. We're all noses and ears. We're ears. We're his, that's what the body's made up of. And we all have those gifts and we can as we operate and we operate in his spirit and we walk in his spirit. We're going to be able to do mighty and wonderful things for God as He leads us, as He directs us, as we operate in the power of His Spirit and we're obedient to what He's saying. Listen, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen to what he's saying. And that's us here at Crescent. Right? That's us here at Crescent because God's given us wonderful gifts as His people. Let's finish up here. But while everyone was marveling at all at what he was doing, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. What was, what's happening? Jesus, remember we talked about how Jesus was going to be going into Jerusalem? And Jesus was prophetically telling his disciples that he's going to be going to Jerusalem and he was going to um, be given over into the hands of wicked, evil men who were going to uh, crucify him and were going to take his life and beat him and, and, and treat him cruelly. So, the disciples really didn't understand this and what was going on. And it was hard for them, especially this kind of news. 
don't understand. I don't understand. But one of the things that God has shown me is that sometimes God will, will speak to us words that of what he's going to do and what's going to happen. Gives us direction. Sometimes those words may not be words that we want to hear. But in reality, God says, I understand, child, this may be difficult for you, but this is what's going to happen. Listen to me. Trust me. Trust me. I'm God. I'm your father. Believe me, I got this under control. God knows the end from the beginning. God is the creator of time. God is over time. He is above all time. He existed before time. He spoke and the universe into existence. And the ever-expanding universe at more at a rapid rate. I was reading that. It's expanding more and more and more, even at a faster rate than they even had thought. But God did that. He spoke that in the beginning. He says, and, and God spoke and there, was, and there was light. Now what the light was? The light was the universe and the stars. God spoke it in one word. And there's, what did they, they, they believe there's like 400 billion billion stars in the universe now, and it's ever-increasing. 400 billion billion, that's a mind-boggling number. But God spoke that in a moment of time. And think about our God, the greatness of our God, who can cast out, some, set someone free from a demonic spirit, who can set someone free from, from um, uh, life-controlling drugs, or um, someone who can, God who can set Provide for an individual who financially doesn't have the means to make things happen. If God did all that, how much more can he do this for us? And if he has and he presents challenging news, how much more can our God bring forth light at the end of the tunnel? Because on front there's Friday, but then there's Sunday. Friday, Good Friday, Jesus' death, but then, then comes Sunday, which is what? His resurrection. And sometimes with Jesus' news, sometimes when it's challenging and difficult, there's always, I use this line, I use the word, a silver lining in the midst of it. And that's what we need to see, and that's what we need to trust God in. Even though we may share challenging news, we need to trust Him, He's got it under control. And that somehow, some way, he's going to work it out. But we need to trust him and believe him that he's going to do it. So, number one is, is that Jesus is in control. He has things under control. He revealed himself. We respond in awe and obedience to God. We respond to who he is. We worship him. Then we listen to him. And then we believe him. And believe him at his word. Because when we do, great things happen, right? 